Hello, lovely listeners to The Heavy Pour. My name is Dustin, host and sometimes guy who researches. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Welcome, Dustin. Uh, yeah, welcome all you listeners out there. My name is Skylar. I'm the co-host and producer of The Heavy Pour podcast. We have uh, another treat for you for this and probably the next couple of uh, podcasts coming up. We have a... Uh, Returning guest. Recur- returning guest and... Regurgitating guest. <laughs> longtime friend, there Spencer. Go. What's going on, man? Spencer Evans, avid history fan and avid Skyler fan. Oh. Soon to oh, be... yeah. Soon to be average. Present. Guest. Yeah. Present and accounted for. All right, awesome. So I guess what we discovered in discussing getting going with this topic is that most people probably don't know what the Habsburgs are. Who are the Habsburgs? Well, actually, Skyler, let's hear what you know about the Habsburgs. You've overheard some of the stuff that we've talking about, but we besides that, what do you know? Like the, the Habsburgs. Who, I, who were they, Skyler? I feel like they had a big, you know, they they had a large family, you know, okay. accurate, yeah. and they not very diverse. They were probably kind of dicks. Yeah, could have been nicer, you know, but who couldn't? You know? Yeah, they could have been nicer. Okay, all right. Did I'm they sure steal? they're terrible. I'm sure they're terrible. Did they? They obviously caused conflict. So, well, yeah, as any ruling family to control would. their yep. stuff. Sure. Well, I sure. know one fact: they controlled for 300 years. Mm. Yes, controlled what? Their kingdom. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Many so that's, kingdoms. Okay, so that's <laughs> like family. Yeah. That's a good segue to get us to the point of what's so confusing about the Habsburgs is that you know that they controlled something for 300 years, but it wasn't the Habsburg lands or monarchy. They originally were a Swiss family and then got ousted by the other nobles. And so they moved to Austria. Really? Yep. So they moved to Austria in the 1400s. And in, what year was it? 1438 became Holy Roman emperors and ruled until 1740. So that's the 300 years you're talking about is they ruled the Holy Roman Empire. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't there like, inherited lands the way that like for instance the Tudors ruled over England it wasn't the same sort of aspect okay so what how does Charlemagne play into that family because I know you like that's like that was a big contention is like do we start with Charlemagne or do we start well because I guess you got to know the Holy Roman Empire to understand that they were emperors of it gotcha Charlemagne was the first Holy Roman Emperor okay so that's the connection yes yeah okay so Rome had fallen in the mid 400s and such in the west at least Mm -hmm. and uh so there was like the period known as the dark ages where what some things regressed and everything and a number of germanic tribes took over the western roman empire sure one of these tribes the franks the leader eventually was king charlemagne who united the franks and conquered large chunks of western europe okay and he was crowned by the pope in the year 800 as the first holy roman emperor and this is like a title that was passed down over this very large hodgepodge region of many different language types, cultures, yeah, sure, so religions bef- even, and such. Before Germany was really Germany, the Holy Roman Empire was kind of that, but it also included parts of France, parts of current-day Switzerland, parts of uh, current-day, you know, Czech Republic, Czech Republic Slovakia, yeah. Hungary, Poland. Yeah. All of these areas, Italy, parts yeah. of it, yeah, yeah. parts of Italy. It's all so, um, 
And the biggest thing with the Holy Roman Empire is that it was sort of an inherited title, but there was also the electors. And so these are dudes who are, you know, dukes of, like the Duke of Savoy. High nobility. They're high nobility, but they Um, rule over small regions in, you know, some little backwater in southern uh, Germany. He's, that person is potentially an elector who then elects the emperor. So it's not an inherited title like it was, like, say, in China, where it was often just handed from father to son. Okay. It wasn't this, it had aspects of that, but it required a little bit of what we would see as a democratic sort of institution in that vote. Okay. Of the electors. Anyways. So, like, the people did have a say? No. The high high nobility in the church did. Oh, So it was a very, very tiny amount of democracy, but, like, people were choosing this emperor. And the Habsburgs eventually kind of, like, took control of it and sort of it was dynastic but yeah they had enough they were still being elected but they kind of had to coerce everyone to still vote but they just held the same title for a long time right many years as you alluded we were questioning where to start this story um, of the 80 years war and that's why we're talking about charlemagne and the the electors (laughs) is because a little further back so we did come back realistically (laughs) history you can just pick an arbitrary place and talk about something uh an event or a person you have to sort of formulate the context in which you're going to be speaking. So yeah, we're starting in 1555 with uh, Charles V, who was a Habsburg, but he was born in the Netherlands and grew up and ruled in Spain, okay. but descended from people from Austria. <laughs> so that's one aspect of this whole thing is it's really confusing. The yeah. lines of succession. The dynasticism is crazy. Super confusing. People inheriting stuff all over the place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in 1555, it sounds super fun. Oh, yeah. Sounds really confusing. (laughs) It's fun because like you go, why would you make such a system? It's just ridiculous. They probably didn't even know they were making it when they were making it. They were like, oh, they knew. They're like, this works for now. Okay. So it was partly that. You're right. It's partly that. It's like, (laughs) here's what has worked. (laughs) Right. And then they go, but we want more power or they want more power. And so they would do these marriages and alliances and all this sorts of stuff. And that's how. Charles V ends up being, in the history of the Western world, Yeah, he rules over the most territory and the most, today you would call them municipalities, but back then they were, you know, duchies and... Principalities. Principalities, and exactly. Actually, that's the exact correct term. <laughs> um, he rules over the most of those in, Western, in the history of Western Europe. Nice. He had, he had a very close chance in, like, the 1530s of actually dominating all of Europe under one monarchy. He failed to the relief of a lot of the other monarchs. Yeah, especially France. So France, A lot of European yeah. history, that was the struggle. Somebody yeah. had to t- keep the Habsburgs from world domination. Mm-hmm. Oh, so I mean, it was in their own self-interest. So, they were happy but ma- that he France, fit. Yeah. yeah, it was the other main yeah. like, power that could potentially hold them back. And, right. So there's many wars between them. Yeah. And, but in 1555, 25 years after he could have had con- entire power over all of continental Europe. He decides, eh, I'm 55 years old. He was, yeah, 55 years old, actually, at that time. And he goes, I think I'm going to retire. So he abdicates, ab- which, you know what abdicate means? Like to, it's like succession. Yeah, it's, just, it's a very specific, the reason I ask is because I didn't know this until college. I didn't know what the word abdicate meant. And I learned it. 
oddly enough, by playing uh, Medieval 2 Total War. Nice. Great game. Great game. Nice. I still play that. Oh, it's, <laughs> I, I love it. But so abdicate is just the formal word to say, like, you as a monarch give up, you formally resign your power. Really? And, but not only that, you resign the titles that come with it. So it's, it's a little more than just like saying, hey, I'm giving power to the next person. But so it's not like, it's not like a, a king giving power to the, pr- the prince to become king. It would be like That me. could be. You can, that would be? Yeah, you can. Because in the case of Charles, he abdicates to his son, Philip II. Okay. So Philip II becomes king of Spain, um, king of southern Italy, and king of the Netherlands. Parts of Western Germany and, and also the New World. Which oh, Spain yeah. Spain controls vast that. swathes of yep. Yep. all the Spanish colonies. So Mexico, most of South America. Florida. That's pretty sweet. All the silver reserves, yep. which was very crucial. Well, and you were, you were talking to me about how they would trade, essentially, with uh, Japan, right? There was some. Uh, well, they would bring, the Dutch did. Oh, that was the Dutch. Yeah, okay. they were the only ones allowed to yeah. trade with Japan at this time. Yeah, is that just because they owned the boats essentially? No, it's because they or the, ships. They sorry. had the, basically the Japanese trusted the Dutch and nobody else. They, yeah. they didn't the like world. Catholicism yeah. was very like universal, yeah. and the Protestants some well some types of them weren't as universal. Like saying ever all Japanese people, if you don't become Christians, you're going to hell. Like yeah. they weren't as like preachy as the Catholics sometimes right. were. That kind of rubbed them the wrong way because they're very traditional. So, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, that rubs. They most, like the, the most the people. They the were just worried way. about money. The Dutch were. And they're like, "Listen, you don't listen to me. I'm going to hell." Yeah. Whoa, dude. <laughs> just living. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because my my main question was with uh, Ab- abdicating. Abdicating. Mm-hmm. So it's not like sorry, not to bring it back, not to bring it back. No, this, that's but, fine. Um, it's not. It's definite. It's like. It's definitely like succession. It's like handing it to You're your handing, son. Or exactly. Handing, can you hand it to anybody, essentially? Um, you could try. I think okay. a lot of the like if you don't have a son, you could hand it to your daughter, but that probably wouldn't. Well, yeah, that's a whole other yeah different type of thing. But yeah, as I, you can you have if some saying who you your goes heir. Through, it your depends heir. on if yeah. it'll actually go through or not. So basically, some yeah. countries would be more conservative or whatever. Yeah, abdicating and it's like some sort of democracy. So your, you know. Uh, Whatever uh, group constituency, You're, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, they would have a set, like they would, they could overturn you essentially and be like, "Well, yeah." So that's actually depending on the country, I guess. But. And yeah. and in the case of the Holy Roman Empire, that's part of the key is that he abdicated to Philip II in Spain, the New World, uh, the Spanish Netherlands, Southern Italy, but in but then he split the power. So he was also at the time Charles V was ruling over those places mm-hmm. as well as Austria Hungary and all of Eastern Europe. And in that case, he abdicated to uh, Ferdinand I. But Ferdinand wasn't um, installed as Holy Roman Emperor for another two years. So that was where the Holy Holy Roman Empire comes into place where for two years, the electors debated over whether they were going to allow Charles V to abdicate to Ferdinand I. So he, in in that case, and that's very specific to the Holy Roman Empire, though. In the case of like a traditional monarchy where it's a total, an absolute monarch, they can just say, I am abdicating now like for instance edward the eighth did it in the, the king's speech the mm. same this yeah. is the same king he would he married an american he just abdicated and just said i'm a monarch with total power and he handed off to the next person in line okay the holy roman empire wasn't that way okay so that's why he was able to that's why charles v was able to in spain abdicate to 
his son Philip II with no big issue because it wasn't part of the Holy Roman Empire. Right. But when he went to abdicate to Ferdinand I, all the electors were like, well, you can't tell us who's going to rule us, even though he had been ruling them for 50 years at that point. Right. So... Very confusing. Yeah. The Holy Roman Empire. Well, that's can, why I asked. You can control yeah. land in it and out of it. and it was, yeah. Yeah. Yep. If you look at a map of the Holy Roman Empire and which principalities were under its um, power, like, for instance, there's parts of the Netherlands that came under the sway of the Holy Roman Empire, and then uh, there were entire towns that were cut in half based on, like, whether they were ruled by the Holy Roman Empire or the Republic of uh, the Netherlands for a period, not for very long, but... yeah. There were things like that that existed, and looking at maps of the Holy Roman Empire is hilarious. It's like, and historians, yeah. it's a patchwork, and patchwork. historians <laughs> love border gore. They yeah. love to say that the Holy Roman Empire was neither holy nor Roman nor an empire. Yeah, and it really wasn't. That's why they gave it the name. Like, we'll yeah, piece right. all those together, you yeah. know, stitch them together. Well, that comes from Charles Charlemagne, which just in in French just means Charles the Great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because in German, his name is um, Karl der Grosse. Yeah. Uh, See on the book, yeah. Der Grosse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that just emanates from him, his decision. He basically used it as a moniker. The Holy Roman Empire to Charles was like, who is the most powerful thing? Oh, the Roman Empire. Also, the church is really powerful. Okay. We'll be the Holy Roman Empire. Yeah. 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 So we connect to that. Dynasty. Yep. Of yeah. It the was, Romans. It was all like, about legitimizing. They lived them. amongst the ruins of all these Roman amazing cities and then mm-hmm. yeah so he was just trying to legitimize his power and then that Makes carried on cool. for another thousand years yeah yeah <laughs> like yeah. Th- thousand and five <laughs> yep so 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 he inherited the netherlands which i mean some people may not know what the netherlands even is it's true actually so, yeah i as didn't far as really so, go, when so, i was doing research he, so. being philip the second okay Sorry. being philip philip the second last second. name Habsburg. 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 So he was okay. of the Spanish Habsburgs. Yes. Well, there was the Austrian Habsburgs from this point. Gotcha. But they were like family and allied and yeah. worked together to further their family because they intermarried and stuff. So. Yeah. yeah. So the Netherlands. A lot of incestuous behaviors. Oh, 100%. Lots, yeah. 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 <laughs> keep, it, keep the blood pure. Oh, yeah. Is that it, it, something? Like, 100%. Yeah. It actually Well, because they didn't want other people inheriting stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Because that was theirs. So. Right. Oh, yep. They were careful. But. Selfish bastards. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, whatever. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, the Netherlands. The Netherlands. It's yeah. a region of uh, Europe. Today it's a country, a kingdom, weirdly. But uh, it's like a lowland plain region between Germany and France. And a lot of okay. important rivers enter the North Sea from there as well. So water yeah. is very important with kind of like the lifestyle of this region. Well, isn't fully one third of the country actually below sea level? Yes, it is. Yeah. A lot of early Dutch like government stuff was kind of a cooperation between these areas. They're called polders. A Pol- polder is like polders. a... It's like a community that would come together and would dam off a region hmm. from like either... They'd either like drain a swamp, a river, a lake, or reclaim land from the sea and like dam it away. So a lot of early kind of cooperation between towns and villages was over these uh, like water boards as they were called because somebody had to upkeep all these dikes and streams that they were holding back the sea with or else everyone's cropland would be washed away right. so that started a lot of like cooperation and everything mm-hmm. between them but interesting but a constantly changing landscape because there was always something to drain off or land to take from the sea yeah so that's just like the general where the Netherlands are at least 
Okay. Uh, is it comprised of a lot of islands, or? There, it... I mean, there's islands off the coast. Okay. Yeah, the province of uh, Zealand. Zealand, nice. Like New Zealand, just like it. Cool. Yeah. Um, got, is that where they got the name? Yeah. Yeah, and one of the provinces is Holland, the main population center and economic powerhouse yeah. of this region of the Netherlands was in Holland, which is some of the best land. Yeah. But when the Habsburgs controlled, it was uh, 17 provinces, mm-hmm. which were today it's modern day Belgium, Luxembourg and the Netherlands. And that was all controlled by the Spanish Habsburgs mm-hmm. nice. when Philip became king. Nice. So that was a long way for us to get into the 80 years war, which is, I guess you could officially call it the Dutch War for Independence. Yeah. yeah. Slash sort of. Yeah. No, I guess that would be the best way yeah, to describe I mean, it, right? Like That's also a great title. So I think I'm just going to steal that for the title. The Dutch War for Independence in parentheses, 80 years war. Yeah. That would be true. Yeah. That'll get you. They there. were trying to break away. Well, eventually they were trying to break away from Spain and they did. But we'll get there. Yeah. We ain't quite there yet. So the war officially lasted... 1568 to 1648? Yes, it did. That's like the uh, the sort of bookends they put on it, right? Again, coming back to this sort of, not quite arbitrary, but in all things, humans have to apply uh, meaning. And so here, in order to like get a sense of the various ranges of conflicts, they were like, we'll call it the 80 Years War and pick these dates. And so we're going to try and encompass all of that, right? But realistically... The dates are only important insofar as how they relate events to one another, right? Like, yeah, yeah. So, the, we're going to uh, talk about the related aspects. We're going to, yeah, we're going to talk about the events and the people, not the dates, because yeah. yeah. not as critical to understanding the topic in general. Truthfully, yeah. so. <laughs> so 1568 is that rudimentary date that they select. Why 1568? Well, I think it was just another one of those. Smaller rebellions that broke out. The the time in this course that I took that we usually used as the starting date was 1572. Okay. Um, which was the year when the sea beggars captured the port of Brielle or Brill. So the sea beggars were this group of Calvinist um, privateers. So it's kind of pirates, but like targeted pirates. Again, so they were kind of pirating Spanish goods. We've talked about this in previous episodes. Privateers okay. oh, yeah, are we did. basically, we did. Yeah. they're just pirates with one side going, yeah. you're legal. Yeah. yeah. We can steal your stuff. Yeah. No one else's. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that, that's the year when um, the Spanish moved out of this port city or town, I guess a better word for it, of Brielle or Brill. And the sea beggars swooped in because they usually would be around England. So they swooped in, captured this town, and then that's when like several other towns opened their gates, raised their flags, and joined them. It kind of was like a more widespread rebellion started from this capture of this one port. Because it was a way for them, they saw the English, because were the sea beggars English then? Or no, no, they, they were uh, partially sponsored by the, Span- by the English, because there was, again, that Spanish. animosity against the Spanish, who were always kind of pushing for power. So the N- Netherlanders... Is that it? The Dutch. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. But the people living in these regions at this time, they see that happen and they go, we can follow that model. And that's why they're 
joining the sides of the sea beggars, basically? Well, there was a bunch of, like, defeats where these rebellions were quickly crushed, and they didn't really gain a whole lot. They assembled, fought a battle, lost a battle, and that was kind of, like, most okay. of the end. All right. And so this was, like, a, a victory for the people fighting against the king. It was a stronger rally cry for them. Yeah. Okay. And this resonated with a lot of the Calvinists, but, we, you know, we haven't really gotten into the sure. Calvinist aspect. We will. Everything. <laughs> Crazy. Oh, we will. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Okay, so... So see, arbitrary dates. Yeah, yeah right. so 1568, 1572. It was, uh, yeah, a, a lot of turmoil. Yeah. As was common at this point in time in this part of the world, but specifically with uh, the Netherlands. <laughs> Y'all right there, bud? Somebody just lost his headphones. Studio malfunction. I wonder who. We'll be right back for... I'm back. So, after after this revolt isn't immediately crushed, where do, where do they go from there then? In 1572, the sea beggars, do they, these other towns? Uh, it just kind of serves as like the base of support. That's when uh, William, of, William Orange, of Orange, that's when okay. he, because he had been part of a previous rebellion mm-hmm. in the Netherlands, which had been crushed, but so he had left to his German territories that he controlled. In the Holy Roman Empire, which also the Netherlands were a part of, but right. different area. So he kind of left Spanish kind of direct control. Yeah. But then once this victory happened, he then joined with these rebels, which was like a big rallying point for many okay. other Dutch people. Okay. Huh. Cool. But so this rebellion kind of, we need to get to the roots of it all. So it's kind of spurred sure. by a couple of different topics. Yeah. Um, Economic and religious are kind of bigger ones. Um, yeah, I would say those are the two biggest things that were causing all sorts of trouble. At yeah, this, this time. whole time. Yeah, yeah. Yep. This, throughout all of Europe, this is shortly after the Protestant Reformation. Of mm-hmm. What year was that? In? Well, Martin Luther's ninety-five theses yeah. were fifteen seventeen. Um, he wasn't the first person to uh, call for reform for the for the uh, Holy Roman Church. There was Jan Hus, who was uh, nice. the Hussites, po- Polish Czech sort of. Great. So actually, um, Bohemia for two hundred years leading up to Martin Luther's, no, not two hundred years, but a hundred years leading up to Martin Luther's ninety-five theses had been following um, the teachings of Jan Hus, which basically their their movement was so strong but so confined to that region that the Holy Roman Church was like, yeah, I guess we'll just let you guys do what you do so you don't yeah. cause as much trouble. Um, and then before that, John Wycliffe in England um, yeah. proposed a bunch of reforms as well. So a lot of people think that Martin Luther was the first person to, who had this eureka moment of like, well, maybe the church is pretty corrupt. No, he was he was standing on the, the backs of giants. He was um, one among many who proposed these reforms. And his... The, the biggest reason that his took off is because it was at a perfect time for the German populace. They were trying to unify already anyways, and this was a great reason for the German-speaking populace to unify against um, against what they saw as sort of a uh, ruler from afar who didn't speak their language, didn't know their culture. You know, so. The Catholic Church was yeah, a huge entity at this point that controlled yeah, most yeah. people's lives, mm-hmm. and welfare and everything. So, so the, this is yeah. This, this is part of yeah. that. This is in that same vein, yeah. the same tradition. You could almost call it of like. Yeah. So, but they weren't following. Was it mostly Calvinists in 
the Netherlands? Yeah, it w- I mean, it was very diverse, but uh, the Calvinists were the largest. The strongest. Group. So they, they went by like the name, like the Reformed Church, which was uh, na- Calvinism came from this French. Jean Calvin. Guy, yeah, who well, he went was to Swiss. Swiss, Switzerland. I think mm-hmm. he was French, but he moved there. Moved. I, I could be totally wrong. But No, that actually sounds about right. It, it's That to me sounds very French, like, <laughs> you are too, go away. And he goes to <laughs> yeah. the Swiss, and they're like, yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> whatever, dude, yeah. yeah. So he started like another branch of Christianity, Calvinism, which was you know moderately different than did he invent normal Catholicism. The Calvin scale? No, no that was, that's, that's Calvin. That's K E L. This guy is C A L. Yeah, that was so, a trick question. Yeah. I knew that because I'm, I'm a physics major. So I like fuck it. You guys. Yeah, <laughs> I like. So, anyways, this Calvinist church or the Reformed Church was yeah. that was the main Protestant church within the area of the Netherlands. Yeah, and. It had spread by this point, and Philip II, who had just inherited this, was a very staunch Catholic leader. As was all all Spanish leaders up till today still are. <laughs> Catholicism is huge in Spain. So he was just following right in the footsteps of, of his family, of his father, Charles V. Doing what he was told. The only thing was that Charles V, the only reason he was able to hold that empire, that giant empire we talked about briefly earlier, the only reason he was able to hold it together so long was because... He practiced a really pragmatic form of tolerance, religious mm-hmm. tolerance, and wherein basically he was like, you guys can believe whatever you want to believe as long as you pay me taxes. Pretty much is where he was at. Like, his official stance was, I'm Catholic, my empire is Catholic, but I understand that and like, fair times enough. are changing and you can believe what you want to believe as long as you're paying me taxes. His son yeah. Philip II was like, no, fuck that. You believe what I want to believe, and you pay me taxes. And if you don't, I'm going to come, like, burn your village down. Yeah. Like, it was heavy. He was very strict. Yeah. Yeah. So there was a series of repressions and Inquisition agents going around and burnings at stakes and and everything like that, which triggered a bunch of Protestant response, such as the Calvinists. So. That's in crazy. 1566, there was the Bildenstorm, which was a big iconoclastic fury. Bildenstorm. Iconoclasm is a bunch of Calvinists broke into Catholic churches and cathedrals and such and smashed a bunch of like windows, items. smashed a bunch of yeah I- items because they didn't think you should revere right. things as much. So that was right. like, like there shouldn't be reverence for an object. So they would, if people would pray to some relic, that's kind of revering that thing. So you should yeah. be like focused on God. That's like one of their. It even got to the point huh. where they stopped singing and having music because instead of revering God, you were there to listen to the music, which to me is like re- very staunch. That's so hardcore the other way that it's like <laughs> what you're just as bad as like what you're protesting. Yeah. Like, in yeah. My mind. Like, yeah. Well, it's uh, you know, um, it's that reaction, right? It's that yeah, it's... pendulumistic sort of. It's like overly one-sided. Mm-hmm, you know? exactly. The whole thing. So Everybody back then so was good. just, they were, yeah. If you weren't on their side, you were kind of against them. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that's crazy. So it's causing all kinds <laughs> of religious unrest and everything and this yeah. series of rebellions. and Because he was like so, so staunchly like, you must follow this uh, Catholic church that I believe in, right? Yeah. yeah. On top of, obviously, all the taxes he imposed to fight the French. Um, yeah, another main issue is yeah. the economic aspect of it. Uh, yeah. As Dustin was saying, taxation had been rising, rising over t- this period because 
as the Habsburgs controlled their territories all across Europe, that made them exposed to attack from yeah. all over Europe. So they had to have soldiers defending this very big sprawling area. And this well, pre-industrial society where it would take a lot of people's work to produce just like one mm-hmm. armed soldier ready to go. And it was during this time period of the like a surge in the use of gunpowder. So cannons became smaller and more transportable. Muskets nice. were becoming smaller and more widespread. So these things cost money. Of course, yeah. And so France was often at war with the Spanish, I mean the Habsburg as a whole, but it yeah. kind of took them all across Europe because France was trying to weaken Aust- the Habsburgs at any cost yeah. so they could be the most dominant country, mm-hmm. which led to a lot of unrest because the people in the Netherlands were being taxed heavily, but... Right. Some saw it as kind of a waste of money because it wasn't really them fighting the French. It was well, if you don't believe in the war that, that you're in, that family wanted to hold on to their... Yeah. yeah. It was just this one family against this other family. Right. And tons of people were dying or fighting, you know, paying lots of taxes. More of a feud, Another it's aspect more of a feud than a civil war. Yeah. Is well, it technically a civil war? No. Well, they're two, two different nations. Yeah, civil war is a very modern understanding of of a conflict like i don't i think technically the american civil war was the first civil war wasn't it i could be completely wrong here but maybe it's very there was the english civil war the english civil wars were five kings five different kings um battling against each other for supremacy on the british isles um so I don't, I mean, you could technically, I guess, describe yeah. the the 80 years war as a civil war, but more than anything, it's it's very much just a war for independence. The Dutch trying to break away from the Spanish. Um, Who gain, are, yeah, several countries away. Yeah, they're, so, okay. Yeah. A strange dynastic There's a twist of, of fate led to yeah. this yeah, the Netherlands, 80-year conflict. The Netherlands were basically an inheritance piece of the Habsburgs up to this point, and on top of them being pissed off about taxation that they didn't really give a shit about anyways, and the religious feuds and tensions that were going on because of the Reformation, on top of that, like you said, Spencer, the, the fact that they had just been an inherited and were often used as a tool between these dynasties and amongst adversaries. A cash cow. Yeah, they were just <laughs> fed up. And yeah. so that was a huge part of, of why this kicked off. And then... Uh, also a huge part of why it was such a long sustained conflict as well as because of how important they were. I mean, yeah. The Bergs. Well, the Netherlands, it was, oh, it was very, oh, yeah. it was a wealthy area. There was a lot of trade shipping all, of the all the shipping, major, yeah, ports, many, many major, rivers huge running ports. through it yep. yeah. and canals and islands. And uh, they have a lot of that coastline too. So and it was very sense, urban yeah. as well. It was yeah. most of Europe was very non-urban at the time. And yeah. so the Netherlands had developed a number of larger towns, which was kind of Unique strange for their small point. geographic region. Yeah. yeah. So they had a large centralized population that was skilled in things like banking and, Trading in merchants in and, and, yeah. and trading, yeah. yeah, ship. They were very, very powerful in uh, like the merchant mm-hmm. aspect of it. Like, so most goods in many parts of Europe were moved by a Dutch ship mm-hmm. that would be hired out to move this from here to there and so on. Which is why this Eighty Years' War was fought so fiercely by the Spanish. Yeah, yeah. because they knew the importance of yeah. This it was region. a lot yep. of money that yep. they yeah. were losing, not holding it. So let's let's. 
dive into a little bit or dive a little bit more into taxation. Like, what's your what's your tip, typical day in taxation in the Netherlands at this point? Basically, my understanding is, you know, you have uh, your king, you know, basically, and his subjects or his uh, vassals or whatever mm-hmm. go out and essentially say, uh, okay, you, all you in this town are going to give me, you know, this is the tax or one man from each household or to fight in the war, right? They must have had war, uh, like yeah, people was, going into the war. That was the main like, part you know, of taxes, to, yeah, pay for to pay for fighting, war, yeah. pay for war. So a lot of it would be like essentially a, a war levy, a, almost yeah. a draft or something. Yeah, something yeah, kind like of that. Yeah. Um, was there any like? It, was it super financial too? So like, I don't know. it wasn't like today where you pay an income tax. It mm-hmm. wasn't like that. Yeah, um, a lot of the taxes. Well, it didn't seem like to be that controlled, right? So it's kind of like you give me this, or we're gonna put you in jail. Yeah, it was. Well, I guess that's, like, that's one of the reasons <laughs> why this conflict was able to last so long was that the Dutch were very innovative in finding ways to tax because taxation was a very jealously guarded privilege of much of the nobi- nobility or towns and such. Yeah, so they were extremely prickly about any change in whenever they were taxed or else there could be revolts and such. So well, the Dutch found many different ways to kind of like tax things at multiple tiers okay. and so on. Yeah. And just with their uh, like powerful trade, they could also, they were uh, the Amsterdam stock market was the first ever stock market. I was going to mention that you mentioned really? yeah. having a stock market. Yeah. Yeah. They invented the stock market. In was that Amsterdam. because of like the Dutch East India company? Like they had so yeah, many commodities. Cause they used Amsterdam as that, like the trade entrepot of Europe. So they, okay. you could find everything there because they would transport tons of stuff there and the merchants would come and pick it up from there and take it. So they had to find a way to monetize all that, basically. Yeah, yeah, because they kind of had to create insurance, and they went kind of building things from scratch because this is in, like, very primitive time period where, you know, most people couldn't even write, so it's kind of hard to keep ledgers and everything like that and speculate and keep values and all of that. Damn. So what would they... What was their... uh, What was the largest form for their uh, GDP, essentially, if they were trading on a... You know, what was their biggest traded item? Well, it was a lot of things because, again, they control a lot of different waters at different periods in time. Well, so majority holder in America. Yeah, they had extensive colonies there. Um, They were big with like timber importing from Russia, herring in the North Sea. I mean, they made the most money off like the Dutch East India Company, as was mentioned Spice, before. Yeah, uh, spices, so spices from, from yeah, the yeah. New World. This is at the time when That's crazy, know, yeah. they had no access to this, so anybody who could get these spices was making crazy amounts of money. Yeah. And it had been the Portuguese first to, you know, reach uh, India and come back with spices mm-hmm. and made incredible profits. So it was kind of a mad dash all of Europe trying to get these spices, but they were just so far away at the time. Yeah, that would take a year or so to get there and back. So, well, like we right. talked about in the Magellan episode, yeah. they, he, he just searched for an entirely different route than what the Portuguese had. Yeah. yeah. Because Anybody the Spanish, because yeah. they were like, we need to find a different route. And, uh, yeah. So they went West instead of East. And wow. Then he, and then he died in the Philippines like an idiot. Wow. Like a boo. We did talk about that already. If you want to go back, that's true. Listen um, to that. It's true. I guess, yeah, we kind of set <laughs> was, up. Was that so the one? actual... That was our first uh, episode. 
first episode, yep. episode one. Nice. Yep. If you're curious, if not, that's cool too. Yeah. Check uh, it or out. Or if you already know, it's good for you. There you go. Spence, what were you saying? Uh, so that's kind of most of the setup. So the sea beggars, uh, as I said, there were several local rebellions in yeah. the Netherlands about various things, taxation, religion, and so on. Right. Sounds like a lot of social unrest. Yeah, were a number of Calvinist, usually noblemen, who organized these privateer companies. So they would hire a ship, and that was their like person. They'd keep these smaller rebellions going by privateering to the Spanish shipping in the area, and then so that's what the Sea Beggars were, a mainly Calvinist Protestant group of kind of pirates, but with a cause kind of pirateers pirates with the cause and that's obviously a huge reason for the spanish to fight back is not only are they losing authority over these regions but then the people trying to wrest that authority from them are also stealing their shit out in the ocean and they don't like that they <laughs> fucking <laughs> hate it hey they yeah. got you got food on the table the spanish famously hate it when people try to take their gold off them ships though yes they do well they probably had a lot of gold they did on those ships. they did from what I understand. Yeah. So this 1572 capture of Brielle kind of sparks off one of the larger rebellions that kind of leads to the whole Dutch national revolution, if you if you will. Okay. So. How do they take it? Uh, well, I mean, this happens. A bunch of towns join. There's small-scale fighting. as They're kind of trying to figure out the sides between the two because, mm. again, at this time, like, monarchy is just so ingrained with people that supporting the king is kind of like just what you do. So they kind of, at the beginning, it wasn't like a war of independence. It was a war to overturn the ministers of the king. It was a way to kind of not say they were breaking away and saying not directly insulting the king because that could drive some people away. That's how ingrained, like, loyalty to monarchy was, you know? Yeah. So they were, it was that the ministers of King Philip were doing these things. So they were trying to, like, get rid of these guys by Mm -hmm. taking control. But fully knowing that. By getting rid of those ministers, they're weakening King Philip's power. They just had their own thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Trying, it was like a way you had to go about. They're doing it in, in the most Netherlandish way, which is like, we don't like Double you, Dutch. so we're going to get rid of the guy Double that is speaking for you. <laughs> yeah. So the yeah. ministers were essentially the, the people that were going in, t- getting the taxes, spreading well, the law, like yeah. doing Over- all the... So yeah. overseeing yeah. the uh because yeah the king is just one guy in spain he can't control well, like, all these mm, so he has to appoint people right, to right positions yeah. okay. so these, they were saying these guys messed up not him even though they're fulfilling his his will yeah and so really at the end of the day yeah he but, appointed them usually so. exactly <laughs> right but it's a great way for yeah. the people in the netherlands to go we're not revolting against you king yeah it's we still love you, you king put together. Uh-huh. you're our boy smart yeah. smart though because then well, kind of, I guess. Yeah. They're still... So <laughs> there's this kind of back and forth yeah. trying to figure out the lines of who's with the rebellion, who's against it. Yeah. And in 1573, so a year later, there's this uh, battle of the Zyder Zee, which is hey. kind of this inland sea within the Netherlands. That's very important. And the sea beggars were able to defeat the Spanish Navy squadron there, and then they gained naval superiority and then could prevent Spanish money and soldiers from entering the Netherlands by sea. Which is like the main way. So it strengthens it strengthens their greatly strengthened the their Dutch whole the Dutch yep. rebellion. Yep. yep. So they their their power starts spreading and everything. Mm, okay. Unfortunately for the Dutch, there's this thing called the Spanish Road. I don't know if you guys may have not heard. Sounds familiar. So the part of this Habsburg crazy dynastic control 
thing was some, the Spanish also controlled chunks of northern Italy, mm-hmm. so Milan and I think Piedmont was the duchy or whatever, parts of what's now western France and west, well, eastern France and western Germany, and it's kind yeah. of like a string of either territories controlled by them or friendly to them all the way from the coast of Italy up into up the Netherlands. So, so what this, is, what is this now what they like called Alsace-Lorraine? Like yeah, that up region. and through yeah. that region. So they, this came to be known as the Spanish Road because they could just land soldiers from Spain in Italy and they could just walk straight north all the way into the Netherlands. That's and, crazy. I mean, it was way slower because ships were well, obviously yeah. much faster, but still they could do that. It was but a, they'd it was get the only, there. Because that was the only way yeah. they could at this time because mm-hmm. they lost naval. Well, you probably wouldn't get scurvy. <laughs> right? <laughs> you might just starve. Who knows? Your boat wouldn't sink. <laughs> That's true. Like, there's a lot of shit that could happen when you're on the sea. Yes, but yeah. what would you rather do? On the ocean. Go for a boat ride or hike the Appalachian Trail? Uh, 50-50, honestly. Like, uh, I could go for fair. a hike. All right. But I do love a good boat ride. So, <laughs> I don't think it was as glamorous the, as the boat ride it'd that be, we take today. It'd be a so shitty boat ride. I don't think so. Yeah. No. They probably weren't cracking beers and, like, being like... <laughs> They were drinking that grog. Yeah, they were drinking rum and grog, and they were still probably pretty fucked up, honestly. So, it's it's very true. They were about to just go fight in a war. So, yeah, it's the best way to do it. So, um, Spain is pretty upset about this whole rebellion. Wait, spreading. why? What? I know. Can you believe that? <laughs> it's crazy. Huh. So they dispatch reinforcements up the Spanish road, and there's again some back and forth fighting between the Dutch and the Spanish over a bunch of. Like fortresses, yeah. So uh, this kind of leads up to another kind of a bit major moment in the rebellion called the Spanish Fury, which Ooh. is a great name for an event. When did Spanish that happen? Fury. This is uh, 1576. So it's about three years after they gained control of the Zuider Zee, this interior uh, sea within yeah. the Netherlands. Um, again, there's back and forth fighting, and. So the, most of these soldiers that are fighting for Spain are Spanish soldiers. Many of them are. Right. Who fight in this kind of, it's a mix of old and new methods. It's called a, like a tercio. It's like a, it's a block of pikemen with men with muskets on the edges of it, kind of firing off the edges. It's kind of new type of fighting at this time period. But they're still fighting en masse, in formation. It's mainly the yeah. pikes. Yeah, these guys with spears yeah. walking into each other. That's the main driving power. And the Spanish are very renowned for these tercios and this type of pike fighting. They're almost unbeatable. Very renowned across Europe. That's dope. So and these they, are the Spanish? The Spanish, yeah. Okay. So, and that's especially effective against the most impactful form of military unit, which is cavalry. Pikes are well-known. I mean, have oh, you definitely. seen uh, Braveheart? Anybody seen Braveheart? <laughs> love, uh, love me some Braveheart. Apparently, if you have a pike, it's really good at against a horse. So, so I've heard. <laughs> I mean, can't I, say from experience. You know? If Mel Gibson said it was true, I believe it. All right, he's so smart. <laughs> so as okay, well, so as we we're t- saying, the Spanish have had a bit of an issue with paying for wars, right? As we're, that's one of the main kickstarters of yeah, this whole fighting. rebellion yeah. is yeah. fighting all these wars and they can't pay for it so they have to keep raising taxes so now imagine this big juicy cash cow province well 17 provinces rebels yeah. and now you have to spend money that you don't have to put down a rebellion in a country that is a very juicy mm-hmm. supposed to be a guaranteed revenue yeah. so they've lost Not major good. revenues destroying territories that is already you know it's kind yeah. of theirs to take back so 
This leads to tons and tons and tons of financial strain on the Spanish government, which in turn leads to this Spanish fury in 1576 where most of the soldiers, these Spanish soldiers, hadn't been paid for two years. So they were two years owed on their wages. Yeah. So then they rebelled and started this mutiny where Mm -hmm. they sacked a series of towns and stole whatever they could, burned stuff, tearing everything down. So this is at like at a low point for the rebellion after this Spanish army had pushed them back a ways. Yeah. They ran out of money and then the troops mutinied Mm -hmm. and really made most people who were on the fence about the Spanish really not like the Spanish. Yeah. So the rebellion, yeah. They They were like, wow, these Spanish people are burning and pillaging our territory. That's not really that cool. Right. So it sways lots of public support over towards the rebellion and also the soldiers who are mutinying are fighting. And that's the main Spanish army. Talk about a region. double whammy to the Spanish. Really? Yeah. Not really only set them back. Yeah. Not only are they losing their soldiers because they're not being able to, they're not getting paid. They're, that's happening. <laughs> but they're also having the, their opponents go, oh, this is shitty. And it's strengthening their opponents. Yeah. Total result. That's yeah. crazy. So the, the Dutch rebellion was able to gain much territory and a lot of these uh, fortresses and forts with relatively lowly low bloodshed so is this like the beginning of the 30 year in the 80 year no this, that comes a bit later so this, this is only this in is 1576 prob- this is probably definitely spicing that up a bit and making people like just realize well yeah i mean even just what we've talked about yeah. so far is the spanish moving across territories in Germany right. and the Netherlands here and again quashing anti anything that's against the Catholic Church at all these places right. and so, so this, even this even, spirals around the so, church too because oh, oh very, yeah, extremely it's, and it's yeah. all interconnected because all these people own territories all over the place so like it kind of affected lots of stuff I mean the, the biggest thing I can pull from this part of history is imagine having someone come into your town and tell you that you have to fight for someone else because of X, Y, and Z reasons that you don't my give, dad. You don't give a shit about. <laughs> and uh, my dad said so. My dad said you had to fight. <laughs> so you have to fight. Yeah, my sure. dad wants that hill over there. If you're not gonna fight, you're gonna go to jail, man. And the reason he wants that hill is because there's gold in it, <laughs> but you don't get any of the gold. Yeah, yeah you don't. No, that's for him. There's nothing in the hill. Yeah. There's nothing in the hill. It's just very important. There you're is no me. hill. You're going to fire me. There's nothing in the hill, though. Yeah. Sorry. Anyway. That's that's basically what was going on at this point. Yeah. Damn. And we also, I, we mentioned in the beginning, William of Orange. Uh, mm-hmm. So he had been involved in one of these previous rebellions before the official kind of start of the Who's 80 years William war. William of Orange? You got a lot of orange. You got a lot of orange stats. Do I? I remember. I also, thought you did. But actually, let I me, have some. Let, yeah. me, let, me, uh, let me start on this because it's brought a thought to my mind. Um, William the Orange was from of Orange of sorry William William of Orange, obviously a, a Netherlandy, right? Kind of. I mean, he was kind of German, but he was all types. But they they probably associate with that too because uh, I don't know it's the the Netherlands soccer team is orange. Where orange? Yep, yep. A lot of their they do national spirit is orange. Well, it's that's where orange. this comes yeah. from. Yeah, is yeah. that that's why I lead into this so. Dustin, take it away. Yeah, so William of Orange was a 
he was a higher noble. He's also known in English as William the Silent. I'm not very sure. quiet. I've read. I've, so he I've, snuck up on you. I've read this so many times. William the Silent. I'm like, why does it I fucking think it matter that he was silent? With, well, Calvin, like he was like contemplate. Like they were kind of stoic. Okay, no, sure. they were kind. Of, they weren't like outward emotional. I think it I had think. a lot to do with his feet. It was like size six. Very quiet. Silent. Always wore he slippers. Was, he was like a ninja. Slippies. Yeah. Always I think I, I think it was more what I was going with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <If> <laughs> any... <laughs> no, no, absolutely. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so he's a higher noble. Um, he has, Spence, I think you mentioned this a little earlier in the, in the recording here. He's away in Germany. He sees that these um, rebellions are starting to pop off, and he comes back, and he ends up uh, basically... And we'll get there, but by the end of this, he ends up being the founder of what a lot of people call the modern-day Netherlands. And um, they're, so William of Orange and the House of Orange chose the color orange. This is so random to me. They chose the color orange as their sort of standard. Once the monarchy was enacted and his family became the monarchs, that became kind of just the de facto color of the Netherlands, which is why the national team for, for instance, in the World Cup, Mm-hmm. They're always wearing orange. For it's football. Be- it's For because football. of this... William, orange footy. Orange or white. Yeah. It's because of William the Silent, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because and his family. Orange was, yeah. Because William of the Orange. They, can, they, they named eventually. And yeah. I still, I still want to know why he's so silent. Why he's so quiet. He got in a real bad brawl, and <laughs> uh, they had to wire his jaw shut, and he just left it. Yeah. Yeah. Very stoic. They yanked his tongue out. Oh, can you imagine? Brutal. That'd be no good. That happened to a lot. That happened to more people than I care to contemplate. Like having their tongues pulled or cut out. And then they just had to live their lives like that. Yeah. Rough. That sucks. Roof. Yeah. There was a... This is a weird tangent because I'm thinking of torture now. Uh, this same time period, though, so I guess I'm keeping it close to home, Elizabeth I had some really, really... Of England, she had some of the most um, staunch... Uh, censorship laws in Europe at the time, which is saying something. Hot damn. <laughs> Not a hot take, just hot damn. Um, but there was one instance where... Um, actually, I may have already spoken this, about this on one of the other podcasts, on one of the other episodes, but it fascinates me to no end. This guy is just report, basically reporting the news, but she didn't like it, what he was reporting. So she revoked his um, license of publishing... Because she had only licensed certain people to be able to publish things. Mm-hmm. Okay, only certain people could legally use a printing press. She revoked that license and then cut off his ears. <laughs> then Damn, he just lived duh. the rest of his life without Obviously. ears because he wrote Damn. the truth in his in his paper. Yeah, and she was like, "I don't like the fact that you're reporting the truth," and cut his ears off. The truth hurts. Yeah, man. Anyways, the brutalities of this period aside. Yeah, I guess there would be a little whatever. Of yeah. which, let's be honest, William of Orange participated plenty in these brutalities. Among you know, yeah, I mean, I'm sure he was no saint. Yeah, no, right. None of them, none of them were. But um, so he takes over when in the 1570s, right? Yeah, he kind of he, he joins this to, rebellion in 1572, and he, and he kind of becomes the leader because he was a military leader previously. And sort of de facto, the people kind of yeah. just just kind of were like, oh, you know what you're doing. Yeah, the the province of Holland picks him as mm-hmm. well. Okay. So his position was the Stadtholder. Stadtholder. Yeah, that's probably much better. Stadtholder. Stadtholder. I didn't want to do a sh- if it wasn't a sh- moment. You know, look like a fool. Nah. So he's a the Stadtholder of 
Yeah. Holland, at least the province. Um, yeah. Which, which is kind of like huge. a military title, and it's like a stewardship kind of. And it's position. regional, like municipal. Okay. Um, basically, if they weren't in a wartime, he would have been just sort of administering to this region, right? Yeah. As a stadtholder. Yeah. And he also would have had power in terms of, um, like, not votes, but like he would have had a say in. For the instance, Council of yes, the Netherlands. Exactly. Uh, yep. Because the Spanish had, yeah, a Council of the Netherlands. Yeah, so he would have okay. say Who, at the Council. It right. would, like, the high nobles would have, like, be at this meeting and they could talk. I mean, gotcha. the person in charge could kind of do whatever they wanted, but at least they could, like, air their They grievances. could air, exactly. Yeah. It yeah. wasn't a democracy by any means. I got you, But yeah. it was a way yeah. to, it was almost like holding court, but, like, on a schedule with someone appointed to the court, yeah. basically. Yeah. That's pretty dope. Yeah. So he had he had experience with this government and all that, and he kind of becomes the leader, and then his house kind of secures this leadership position of the Netherlands, yeah, the Dutch, for a long period. That's pretty dope. Yeah. It starts with William. William. William the Orange. Um, <laughs> yep, you got, you got it. William yeah. of the Orange. He was, he was an orange. He, orange. It, or in Spanish, Naranya. Unlike Ooh. George of the Giant Peach, George of William of the Orange. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Sorry. Don't. Yeah, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get death threats. <laughs> <laughs> is that that is somebody who cares a lot about William of Orange? Yeah, that, they would really care. I'm sure they're out there, man. That Skyler yeah. was calling him William the Orange. Yeah. Let's get him. He compared him to George. The giant peach. Wonderful book, by the way. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Oh, this, uh, heartwarming. He would. He would yeah, like. Weird. He would love that reference. Now I want to make a a similar book, like a knockoff James and the Giant Peach, just William and the Giant Orange. Oh, instead of instead of it like, could be done. It, it could be, done. be about rebellion. I have spoken. It kind of, wasn't James and the Giant Peach kind of about rebellion? He was rebelling against his nasty aunts. He was, he was rebelling was, against his tiny no. peach. I thought. He, he hated those peaches. He was just like, He was Fuck tired you. of tiny peaches, man. He was <laughs> over it, bro. Why is this peach so small? I need bigger peaches. He's tired of it. Thank you all so much for listening. The Heavy Pour is researched and written by Dustin Barton, recorded and produced by Skylar Carroll, and edited by us both. Check us out at The Heavy Pour Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, or at our website, theheavyforepodcast.com. There, you can also find any citations or corrections we have made. Our intro and theme music were written by Skyler, with photos by ourselves, as well as Kaylee Kirkpatrick. Thanks so much for listening.